powerful is the Cox Network. So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You're about to experience the life-giving teaching of Bishop Kevin Foreman, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Center. To find out more about Dr. Foreman and Harvest Christian Center, visit our website at www.harvestcc.me. And no matter what, remember, love God, love people, and love life. We are continuing on a Wednesday night live, a teaching we began in our weekend series called Keep Calm and Bounce Back. And, uh, and so we are so excited about this word so much. So I want to jump right into it so that I don't run out of time. Amen. Lift your Bibles out. Let's make our confession. If y'all can see it, we're going we gonna to work tonight. I got old school with me tonight. Does the neighbor say we're going to work tonight? Okay, so let me just teach y'all some stuff because the stuff I hope you catch on that apparently I just got to explain. So a couple of things. When I bring out the old school Bible, that means we're going to work. This is my old school Bible. In 17 years of ministry, this is only the second Bible I have ever owned that I personally acquired. Uh, been given tons of Bibles, but that, that I personally acquired because you, as a man of God, you like to keep your notes. A shepherd, he would take his shepherd's staff and he would record his history on his staff so that whenever he would get discouraged, he would just look at his history. And so as a man of God, I don't, I'm not messing up my crosier. So what I'm going to do, that's what your bishops have. We don't have to separate staff. We have a crosier. So what I do is I, when I bring out old school, that means we're going to work. W-O. Okay, see, okay, that's all right. I'm going to teach you. You're going to get learned real well, okay? W-O-R-A-K. Not R, it's aura. Touch your neighbor and say, it's aura. All right, y'all ready to get in the word tonight? Lift your Bibles out. Let's make our confession of faith together. This is my Bible. It is the living word of God. It gives me abundant life. I am not just a hearer of the word. I'm a doer of the word. This word teaches me that I am more than a conqueror. My spirit and my mind are prepared to receive and apply the message. Shift. Go to 1 Samuel 9. 1 Samuel chapter 9, there's a couple of verses I want to, we'll, we'll come back and look at the rest of the story. There's a couple of verses, though, that I want for us to, uh, to look at. Amen. Amen. We're talking about keep calm and bounce back. We're doing part two of how to bounce back when your plans don't pan out. And, uh, and we're going to do a little review of that, and then we're going to take it another further on tonight. Amen. Amen. Y'all got it? 1 Samuel 9. Now, I want you to get down to verse uh, number... Actually, you know what? Let's just start at verse number one. We'll just read the whole story at this time. Verse one. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Ephi, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. In fact, Kish's name in Hebrew means power. Somebody say power. power. 
Say it again. Say power. And he had uh, a choice and a handsome son whose name was Saul. Uh, there was not a more handsome person than he amongst the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys, all of the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise. Go look for the donkeys. That's interesting. How did the donkeys get lost? It didn't say they left. It didn't say anything like that. It said that they were what? Lost. Interesting. Verse 4. So he passed through the mountain. Or, uh, he passed through the mountain. Or verse, let me finish verse 3. And Kish said to his son, please take one of the servants with you. Arise and go and look for the donkeys. So Kish, whose power, sends out his son Saul, whose name means, uh, and I'll just give it to you now. His son's name means borrowed or asked for. He sends out his son that's bought or asked for uh, to go and find his donkeys with one of his servants. Everybody got the story? All right, so verse 4. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha and did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalem and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but he did not find them. Uh, when they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servants who was with them, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. In other words, he got frustrated, he got aggravated, and he got discouraged. He said, we've gone to these four places to find these donkeys, and we cannot find these donkeys, and I'm so frustrated. Let's just throw it in the towel, and let's make it spiritual. Why we throw it in the towel? Because my father's going to worry about us, and then he's not even going to care about the donkeys anymore. Touch your neighbor and say, don't spiritualize weakness. Don't, don't spiritualize a, 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 a person that doesn't have a seeing things through kind of attitude. It's quiet in here. Look at verse 6. And he said to him, look now, there in this city. What city? The land of Zuf. Well, interesting. They had to go to these four places to get to the land of Zuf. And had they not gone to those four places, they never would have got to the land of Zuf. Which suggests to me that the journey leaving from the land that they were in to get to Zuf was very important. You missed it. They start out at Kish's house. Touch your neighbor and say, stay with Bishop. They start out at Kish's house. Then they leave Kish's house. They go to these four different destinations. And then he says, well, wait a minute. We've come so far out. We're at the land of Zuff. Now, he said, Bishop, I don't understand what that means. We'll keep reading. It'll make sense. In this man, in this city, there's a man of God. And he is an honorable man, and everything he says surely comes to pass. Let us go to him. Perhaps he can tell us what to do or show us the way we should go. But they never would have got to Zuff had they not left the house to look for the donkeys and gone to the four different destinations. Come on, be a good class. Does the David say it's brewing? Okay, I'm going to make it make sense. It's going to be good to you after a while. Then Saul said to his servant, but look, if we go, uh, what are we going to take the man? For the bread in our vessel is gone, and there's no present that we can bring to the man of God. What do we have? And the servant answered Saul again and said, look, I have here one-fourth a shekel of silver, and I will give to this man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus, come, let us go to the seer, for who, who is now called a prophet was formerly called a what? Seer. Then Saul said to his servant, well said, come, let us go. Then they went to the city where the man of God was, but they never would have been in the city where the man of God was had they not left the house to look for donkeys. But if they didn't go to those four different places to get to Zuff, they never would have got to Zuff, which was the land of Samuel. Okay, it, 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 does the neighbor say it's still brewing? 
Verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met some young women going out to dry water. And they said to him, is the seer here? Watch verse 12. I feel it already. And they answered him and said, yes, here he is just ahead of you. Hurry now, because today he came to this city because there's a sacrifice of the people today on a high place. They leave the house to find donkeys. They go to four different places, can't find the donkeys. When he's ready to give up, they, uh, his servant says, but wait a minute, we're in the right place at the right time because Samuel's here, and Samuel can tell us what we ought to do. So maybe what you thought you were, we left the house for wasn't what we actually left the house for. Okay, okay, it's still brewing, still brewing. That's okay. All right, let me go on and make it make sense. Look, look at verse 13. As soon as you come into the city, you will surely find it before he goes up to high place. For the people will not eat until he comes. They used to honor men of God in these days because he must bless the sacrifice. In other words, he said, ain't nobody eating until he come. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, therefore, go up, for at this time you will find him. So they went up to the city, verse 14. And as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming outward on his way up to the high place. Look at verse 15, church. Look at it. You looking at it? Now, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before. Wait a minute, I just want to make sure you get the story. They leave power, Kish, to go find some lost donkeys, which in that culture were the equivalent of fine automobiles in that day. To go find that, they go to four different places where they don't find the donkeys. When Saul is ready to give up, Saul's servant says, but wait, we've come this far and we got to the land of Zuff. And, and, and I know you feel like giving up, Saul, but you better keep on pushing, Saul, because uh, this is the land where Samuel is. And I heard that whatever he says goes. So if we can get to the man of God, the man of God will tell us the way we should go. So let's go find the man of God. They walk into the city. They're like, where's the man of God? They're like, it's good you came today. Because he was on his way up to the high place. And had you not made it at this place at this time on this day, you would have been out of place and you wouldn't have got to Samuel. If you didn't get to Samuel, you would have went home and with no donkeys. But look at verse 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time. I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall appoint him commander or king over my people Israel that he may uh, save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me wait a minute he leaves the house as a son of power to go find some donkeys to go four places to not find the donkeys to get ready to give up to only discover he's right next to the city where Samuel is he goes to see Samuel and he didn't know that the day before God told Samuel tomorrow at about this time I'm going to send you a man that you're going to make king which means had Saul got it his own way Saul would have never took the throne y'all don't be touch your neighbor and say you don't know what God is doing that's why the old saints used to say he works in mysterious ways and what they were really trying to say is we just don't know all of what he's doing because sometimes he has plans he don't tell you all the plan he just says walk and you just better walk he says talk and you just better talk have, have your neighbor say there's a plan working here look look go to verse 18 I'm gonna let you sit down go to verse 18 uh, go to verse 18. Uh, then Saul drew near Samuel in the gate and said, please tell me, where's the seer's house? Samuel answered and said, look, boy, I am the seer. In other words, he says, you're looking for your solution and you got him the whole time, fool. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I'm going to let you go, and I'll tell you everything that's in, on your mind. In your heart, Hebrew, lay up mine. Look, look at verse 20. He ain't asked Samuel nothing. 
But look at what Samuel says. Oh, but for those donkeys? The reason you thought you left the house in the first place? The plan that didn't pan out? Oh, God. That were lost about three days ago? Don't you worry about them. We found them. We, we found them, and on whom is all the design of Israel? Is it not on you and all your father's house? In other words, he said, let me just, let me just go, and I'll let you be seated right here. Uh, uh, in other words, he said, come here, Saul. Come here, Saul. Let me pretend, can I pretend like you're Saul? Come here, but don't move. Just, just, just like inch forward, just a little bit, like, you, like you're listening, leaning in. Come on, lean in. If, if you're arrogant, you're not doing it. If you're good, humble, good Christian, you're leaning in. Can I tell you something? What if the plan you thought was never his plan in the first place? What if the plan was a trap door to another plan? Saul left his house. That's all. Saul left his house to find some donkeys. To only have been sent on a journey to ascend to the throne. Father, I decrease that you might increase. God, I'm so excited about this word. I pray that you would now speak it to us, Taylor, make it for us, your people, so we can bounce back when plans don't pan out. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout Hallelujah. Have have your neighbor as you take your seats and just tell them this is going to be good for us. This is going to be good for us. I want to do a quick review and then I want us to move in this. I told you uh, in part one that being a Christian doesn't mean every swing you take is going to be a home run. Being a Christian, it means that when you strike out, you must do what? You must do what? Say, I am on my bounce back plan. But please understand, I don't care what hasn't gone right. I don't care what didn't go according to your schedule. I don't care what didn't go according to your plan. God has sent you to Zuff. He has sent you to the man of God so it could be told to you that you are in the bounce back period of your life. And for some of you, the last several years of your life have been nothing but loss after loss after loss after loss. But I got an announcement for you. I got a fresh word, fresh out of the doors of heaven. God says this second half of this year, you shall recover all. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but you're getting ready to recover all. Somebody shout all. I'm bouncing back, baby. Been low too low. Been losing too long. I'm touch your neighbor and say, that's my word. So now watch this. We began in part one to evaluate what happens when plans don't pan out. And we said that there's one of two, my, two primary scenarios that caused the plan not to pan out. In part one, we only dealt with the first primary scenario, which was what? The plan was plagued. And I gave you four different questions to evaluate your plans so that you could determine where the plague came in. Plague means, uh, very simply, that it would cause it not to function. Say the plan, plan. may have been plagued. Yeah. All right. So the first question I gave you was, did you commit your plan to God before planning? The second question I gave you, or B, as I gave it to you in, in uh, part one of the message, did you prepare or did you just hope and wish? Touch your neighbor say, preparation, preparation. is never a waste of time. Yes. See, some of you keep saying, I'm just waiting on the Lord to do this. And God says, I'm just waiting to find somebody prepared. You, you, the scripture says many are called but few are chosen you know who gets chosen the prepared ones the ones who show up ready to work the ones that show up ready to make something happen can I tell you the Bible is not full of a book full of people that has supernatural abilities greater than you and I the Bible is a book full of people who knew how to show up prepared Come on here. That's why uh, in The Lion King, since I referenced it in part one, you remember they did a whole selection, the choir. They had the whole band and choir come in, uh, 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 Scar and all the, all, the, all the rest of the singers, all the hyenas and everybody else came together and they sang a song called what? Be Be Look, touch your name and say, are you prepared? 
See, you've been planning on if it doesn't work, but did you ever consider to put a plan together for if it does? You've been planning for what won't go right, but did you ever put a plan together for what could go right? Does that make sense? Third thing I gave you was what counsel did you seek? Or did you all of a sudden decide that your decision-making skills dramatically improved? And I gave you several examples, and many of those examples included things like, uh, for example, uh, when we looked at the scripture in Proverbs where it says, in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. And, and, and we looked at the word multitude, we discovered that it meant excellent counsel. So it wasn't a bunch of cosigners, it was just the right cosigner. Does this make sense? Okay, if you have a history of making bad relationship decisions, why do you trust yourself to make those decisions on your own? If you don't know how to pick nothing but Ikes, what makes you think you're no longer Tina? It sure is quiet in here. Okay, some of y'all are like, that's right, Bishop. That's okay. I'm an equal opportunity rebuker. If you don't know how to pick nothing but Delilah's, what all of a sudden makes you think you're no longer Samson? Because you can come to church for six months now. All of a sudden, your relationship decisions have changed. No, but that dealt with your spirituality, but it takes a while for it to deal with your anthropological psychology because what ends up happening is that you begin to try to treat spiritual things with uh, other means. Bishop, what are you trying to say? Is that while God is going through the process of changing me through the word, that is just that. It is a process, which means by the time he gets to the deep-rooted stuff, I'm going to have to be faithful for a while. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying? See, that's why God makes sure. God has an insurance policy to ensure your faithfulness to him. It's called, I ain't fixing everything at once. Because if God fixed every problem for you at once, let's tell the truth. You would be half coming to church, half praying, half giving, half worshiping. God says, I tell you what, Paul. Come here, Paul. Uh, I know you want me to take this storm from Satan that is buffeting you in the flesh, but I'm not taking it. You know why? My grace is sufficient. What was he saying? Paul, I'm not going to fix it all right now because I know you. I know that if you ain't got no problems, I'm not going to hear from you. I know that if you don't have any challenges, you're not going to pray. So God says, I have an insurance policy called process. Which means, this is what are you trying to say? I'm just simply saying, when it comes to decision making, sometimes uh, those things are so deeply rooted because the reason you thought you made the decision wasn't the reason you made the decision, because, but you didn't have the ability, nor the intellectual, nor spiritual prowess to dig deep enough to find out why you actually made the decision because you know how to deal with fruit, but you don't know how to deal with root. You think you just make that decision because you're attracted to the way they look. No, you're attracted to that filthy spirit that's in them. That's why for some of the single folk, you're like, I keep dating. It just seems like it's, you know, it's just no good people. No, you just pick no good people. But what's interesting is you're the one attracted to them. So what is it indicating to us about what needs to be dealt with in you? I'll touch your neighbor and say, this is good teaching. If you make bad financial decisions, you may think, oh, I just get excited and I just purchase. But you never dealt with the reason why you get excited and get purchased. Maybe the root of why you purchase is because you like things to fill voids of people. And because people have betrayed you so much, you don't trust people no more. You trust stuff. So you go buy stuff because stuff won't betray you. Touch your neighbor and say, deal with the root. Right? So when it comes to decision making, oftentimes it takes a process to find out why we actually made the bad decision. It's quiet in here. Testing never said the Lord's working on me. 
and, and this is for all the folk who feel like, oh, man. No, you better not feel that way. See, listen, you may not be where you want to be, but you ought to be shouting and giving God praise that you are not who you used to be. In fact, that's why your friends say you act different. You know why? Because they don't recognize you anymore. That's why family folks say you acting different. You acting strange. You acting, like, uh, you acting brand new. You don't go right about it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new old things about so I'm acting brand new because I am have had two or three people say I am I am I am that's why I act different I am I'm not the me you met when you met me and if you want that person I'm here to tell you you might as well then check out because he's dead but and if you can't get with the new thing God is doing well it's time for you to go that's my answer some of you want to know, should I keep this person or not? That's your answer. If they keep wanting you to go back to be who you used to be, who is not who God is making you to be, that's your answer that their season in your life is over. No hard feelings. It's just over. What's this? <laughs> okay. There's nothing wrong when we're talking about decisions. How many people would be honest? There's certain areas where we just sometimes don't make great decisions. Come on. Be honest. There's no, touch your neighbor and say, don't you be ashamed. Tell them that. There is no, see, our culture wants us to get real prideful. Like we always do everything right. We never make any mistakes. Okay, but that's a lie. Listen, there is nothing wrong with admitting you don't know. And you need help to make better decisions. Touch your neighbor and say, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. There's nothing wrong with saying, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. There used to be a commercial years ago uh, 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 that uh, was promoting one of those, one of those monitors where you, where you could click it. Uh, life alert. There you go. Life alert. And, and, they, and, and the lady, she, she would fall down in the kitchen because she was trying to cook. And, and when she was trying to cook, she put that olive oil on too hot. And so the olive oil started popping. And when that olive oil started popping, it popped an eye. So she, like, fell on the floor. And so she was like, she was like help. You know your neighbor's problem is they're too prideful to tell God that. There's nothing wrong with telling the Lord, Lord, right through here, I don't know what to do. And I don't know what to say. So, Lord, I need you to teach me. Come here, Isaiah. Give me the tongue of the learn. Tell me what to say. Tell me what to do. I don't know right through here. There's no weakness in that. That's strength. That's why, that's why the scripture says, in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. In other words, God says he doesn't really start until you get to the end of you. Which is why some of your circumstances, God says, when, 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 when are we going to get to the end of you? you okay, when are you going to get to the end of that? Because I can't start until you're weak. You hear? And then the fourth thing I gave you is where we ended part one was to check the people in the plan. Check your plan for the... LMAs. Now, I, I heard that some of y'all thought I was saying a southern name like Ellie Mae. That's what, that's what I heard. No, it was an acronym. L-M-A. Okay. LMA is, I think, student loan. Isn't that student loan or something? I wasn't talking about student loans. Okay. Now, now here's the, how many of y'all this week, this LMA thing has been slapping you around and you've been dealing with this LMA thing? I mean, not in a negative way. It's just like you've been like, ooh. And if you were at the 1115 on Sunday, how many of you discovered the LMA wasn't nobody else? It was you. 
Oh, yeah, okay. See, see, what's the pride in the room? You better put your hand up. You know you've been your own lot, your own Miriam, or your own Aaron uh, Aiken at some point. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord, the Lord has been, the Lord has been, uh, this has been, I shared this, this revelation with some pastors. And I mean, I mean, like shouted the whole phone conversation. I mean, they went in. I mean, went in tongues, whole nine. I mean, we, I just said, well, y'all let me know when y'all ready for me finish releasing the revelation. I mean, it's great. And, but, but Lord, he, he said, he's been taking me through lots of things. And uh, he's been really dealing with me about this LMA thing. These lots, these Miriams and these Aikens. And, and he said, son, I, I need you, I need you to pay, to, to, to look at this. And I need you to deal with some things. And so uh, for those of you that were not here, I want to review this. Sometimes the plan was good, but the wrong people can be in the plan. Lots of people with hidden motives, which cause strife. Whenever there's fighting about stuff there shouldn't be fighting about, you have a lot. Somebody has a different motive than the rest of the team. And, and let me tell you something. And let me tell you, because I'm going to help those of you who, how many your spiritual gift, one of your top spiritual gifts is mercy? I know, I know. I, you know, it's one of mine too. And I have been battling this mercy demon. No, it's a demon. No, I'm just joking. M- mercy's good when it's restrained. And, and I'm going to give you some examples in just a minute. But, but, but sometimes what you try to do is you try to counsel a lot. You want to sit down and talk to a lot. But your counsel can't change a motive. Conversation can't change motive. Does this make sense? See, there are some people who attach themselves to you because they figured they just were going to ride your elevator up to success and they were going to have to do nothing but be there. You can't counsel that out of somebody. Motives have to be changed by one's own desire. Does this make sense? Okay. If somebody's chasing, chasing, chasing stardom, you can't counsel that out of them. They have to willingly change their motive to make their motive pure. It's quiet in here. If somebody coming to church to find a man, since y'all won't say nothing, I told, I, I told you, yeah. coming to church to find a woman and, and, all, these, and all these things, and, and your motive isn't Jesus, your motive isn't growing in the word, your motive is getting the boo. I'm just, I'm not saying that that can't happen in church. Praise God for that. What I'm saying is, is that just your motive? So your shout in the shout to glorify God, your shout is so that somebody can see you shout. Tell David, say, if you say amen, he'll move on. Yep, did nobody say nothing, so, uh. I was, uh, I was talking to, when I was talking to these pastors, we were talking about, we were just talking about just uh, kind of sharing old war stories and, uh, <laughs> of just building, building ministries and kingdom stuff and all this. We were sharing war stories, and we started talking about different people through the years that, uh, that you try to help and you try to do all these things for, and you try to help them figure out their hand from their foot and all this, and, and you, you try to invest all this time and energy and, and all that, and we were just talking, we just shared stories, and, and, and we were like, man, this, this, and like, man, this, this, and like, man, this, this, and we shared all these stories, and the interesting, the interesting, interesting thing was, is, is when, we, when we came to the conclusion of it, I said, okay, well, well mend of God, what is our conclusion then? And what was interesting was this very simple thought. 
very simple but sometimes overlooked, is that sometimes we think we're the ones that can do what nobody else in that person's life has ever done for them. And when I say we, I'm not talking about just men of God, I'm talking about just people in general. Maybe there's a reason nobody ever thought somebody was worth investing in. Oh, y'all, see, y'all don't like that because we don't like to think that stuff, but that's the truth. Maybe there's a, we, a reason nobody ever spent time to, to, to make certain things happen for people. But see, what are you trying to say? When you're dealing with a lot and a hidden motive and a hidden agenda, you got to be careful because if you don't handle it right, it'll make you bitter towards people. And then you'll become your own M, Miriam. Because you kept dealing with all these people with hidden motives. And so now you've judged everybody based on the motives of a few. So then we say these things like, I don't trust nobody. Nobody? Seven billion people. Not one of them you can tell nothing? Nobody? I don't believe what nobody say. Nobody? That's funny because you sure work that job and depend on you trust them because you believe they're going to pay you. Now, let, give me your company name. I'm going to tell them they don't trust you to pay them, so send, send me the check. They don't trust you. <laughs> you follow what I'm saying? So, so what happens is, is that if you're not careful with these lots, these hidden motives, once you discover somebody's motive, you deal with it accordingly. You don't spend time trying to counsel it. Because here's what happens. You want to know what happens when you confront a deceiver? They get wiser. When you confront a deceiver, all you did was give them wisdom. Now they know what not to do to deceive you the next time. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't con confront deception. What I am saying is that when you deal with lots, know a person's motive and deal with it accordingly. If you discover that somebody only calls you when they need something, don't tell them you only call me when you need something. Because you know what they're going to do? Call you tomorrow. I'm just calling you to say, hey, I didn't want nothing. And then all of a sudden, here's what they did. They pulled you back in. So now you open all the way back up. See, okay, all right. all right. But you knew what you were dealing with. So now the next, you remember the old saying, do it once. Shame on you. Do it twice. Okay. The second one was Miriam. All right. Miriam were rebellious, bitter uh, individuals. The Bible literally calls the name or the definition of Miriam in Hebrew means strong water, water that won't be tamed. And Miriam, slow down your plans. So lots cause strife or fighting, but Miriam's cause delays. You got that? And we talked about that in great detail with Miriam. When you're dealing with bitter people, you have to be very careful because bitterness, it's very insidious because it, uh, insidious just means that it's very harmful in a gradual way so you don't notice it. Bitter people are, you got to be very careful because they'll say little things that lodge into your subconscious, your spirit. That's your spirit. It'll launch to, it'll lodge itself to your spirit. Let me prove to you. Uh, anybody ever had somebody, maybe a parent, say something real, it's okay, real cruel to you when you were a child that you still remember to this day? Anybody? Watch. That was 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. That's the beauty of harvest is we're multi-generational. So we, literally it's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. Got it? Here's, here's what's interesting, guys. Here's what's interesting. Why is that still affecting you? Why do you even still remember it? There's a lot of stuff you forgot. You forgot when your cable bill was due. You got that last week. <laughs> 
Why do you remember that? Because it came from Miriam. The spirit behind it was bitter. So what bitterness does is it attaches itself to your subconscious and it's strong water that can't be tamed. So here's the thing about water is water can dry, but it still be present. Because bitterness is the residue of a painful experience. So when something bitter comes from a Miriam and it comes and it enters into your, that's why there's certain things I say to people. I don't, don't say nothing to me about that in my presence. I don't want to hear that. I don't want it in my atmosphere. Get it out of here because it's desire. Watch this. Is it new? It could get to you to get to me. It didn't need direct access to me because it knew it could get to you. So that's why you better check yourself, not bring that foolishness up around me because I refuse to let the words of bitterness get attached to me. Okay, bitterness. It's the residue of painful. Well, you know, someone said doesn't like me anyhow. How do you know that? You're so smart. Have you asked them? Have you talked to them? Have you, have you had any kind of discussion about that? Okay, a lot of the fallouts you have with folk are because of assumptions. It's quiet in here. Y'all are like this here. Okay. And so we have to mature in that, especially as Christians. Christians, you know, Christians is, are, are notorious for not liking to deal with tough stuff. Christians are just, a lot of Christians, not in here, but some folk you know, they'll just quit you before they talk to you. They're like the mafia, especially if you help them through something. They'll just kill you before they talk to you. It's quiet in here. Tell somebody, say, we can't do that. Harvest, let me tell you, if you want to do that, you need to find you another church. So you can go, goodbye, thanks, we appreciate you. Buckets are out on the wall. Okay, because we won't, we, we, we're not, we're not, that's, I'm not interested in that in our house. But you won't tell you walking around with all these strong rivers flowing. And that's why the Holy Ghost can't flow because he got to bust through all these other strong water that won't be tamed. And I won't have that in our house. Such a neighbor said, the man of God won't have it here. Amen. Okay. Miriam, a rebellious, bitter people. Anybody know somebody that's rebellious and bitter? Okay, good. All right, here's my question. Is, are you making sure you are staying in front of that foolishness? Because they'll say something real small. Remember you, remember, you just established. You remember something that somebody said to you when you were a child. It's cruel. And 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years later, you still remember it. Why? Because bitterness, it's, it comes from strong water that won't be tamed. So here's what happens. I want you to get the imagery. Y'all with me? We're still in first gear. We're going to shift into second gear in a moment. So water, um, it, when it flows into you, that bitterness, when it flows into you. So since words are spirit, when spirits are introduced into atmospheres, they create reactions. Do you understand this? John 6, 63, Jesus says the words I speak are spirit and they bring life. Got it? Which means every word is a spirit. What is a spirit? It's a mindset. Okay. That's why when you hear certain words, it, it brings up certain things in you. And that's why you'll get mad about a certain phraseology somebody uses because it's the law of linkage. It connects you back to when this thing happened. Don't talk to me like that. What are you talking about? I just said, look at the left. Don't say it to me like that. Well, you better check all of that. But the residue's left. You follow? So Miriam's gone. But a residue remains. Because her whole goal was to just introduce bitterness into you with a simple word. 
<laughs> you believe that? <laughs> and so now, based on the painful residue of their own experiences, they've left that lodged in you. And then you spend your life trying to work out somebody else's issues. Are y'all here with me? All right. All right. Um, the third one was Aiken. Y'all okay? Y'all remember Aiken? Aiken meant trouble. These are the deliberately disobedient people. And Aikens, they don't just delay your plan. Aikens will cause you to suffer destruction and failure. Aikens cause your plans not to pan out. And you remember we looked at the story with Joshua when they went up to Ai, which should have been an easy battle. Remember, they took the army down to just 3,000 men. It should have been an easy win, but something happened. Say something happened. It had nothing to do with Joshua. It had nothing to do with Joshua's battle plans, but it was the deliberate disobedience of one of Joshua's soldiers. So Joshua asked the Lord, Lord, why did this happen? Why would you not let us succeed at what should have been very easy? And God's response was, get up off of your face. Somebody in your army blatantly disobeyed me, and for this reason, your plan didn't work out. Now, this is a powerful principle because sometimes what we think is a surefire plan is... It's just the persons that were utilized in the plan were deliberately disobedient. And we have scriptural precedent to where God will cause your plan not to pan out because of the people in your plan. There's a reason why Jesus, out of the thousands he could have had around him, only had 12 he called disciples that he made apostles. And then from that, he only had three that he dealt with, Peter, James, and John, on any close level. And then out of the three, he only had one that the scripture says he loved. Now, if even God had to be selective about who could be around him and in his plans, touch your neighbor and say, you, too, you have to also. Everybody that shows up that seems like they're a willing worker doesn't mean that they are. Makes sense, everybody. All right, now look at this. He says, Lord, why did this happen? Well, why didn't this plan out? And, and so literally, the Lord says, get up, get all your face. There's sin in the camp. And he says, go find him. So literally Joshua gets up the next morning, the Bible says very early, and they go tent by tent to find out who did this. And the Hebrews, the way they heard from the Lord is that they would cast lots. And when they would cast lots, they believed that the Lord's hand guided and directed the lot. So if, if, if it fell on this person, that was God's way of saying this is the person that did it. It was a surefire way from them to hear from God. So they get to Achan's tent and Joshua knows some up because he can see it on Achan's face. This is the Bishop Foreman translation of the Bible. You, you ever known something's going on with somebody and they are very intent on keeping you from knowing what's going on with them? So, so, Bishop, how do you know that? Because when Joshua gets to Achan, he says, my son, I beg you, which tells us the level of relationship that Joshua had with Achan to call him son. Interesting. Lot was a relative. Miriam was a relative. Achan was connected so much so that Joshua called him son, which means the LMAs are going to be people that are close to you. You looking way out here. Judas ain't out there. He at the table. You ain't got to worry about them. You know what's going on with them. Now, now, now watch this. Watch this. They go 10 by 10. So Joshua's like, my son, tell me, what have you done? Please, I beg of you, please tell me. And Aiken's like, okay, I did it. I didn't mean to do it. I took the accursed things, the things the Lord told us not to do. I sinned against the Lord, and I sinned against Israel, and this is what I did. I, I apologize. Believe me, I do. <laughs> Got it? 
He had Anita Baker come in, sing the song, the whole nine. They had church. But then Joshua was like, but you don't understand. We lost what should have been an easy battle because of you. This plan was surefire, but you deliberately disobeyed. And for this Achan, there is no forgiveness. There is death. So we will stone you. Selah. Now, I'm saying it that way and I'm being very somber about it because I want you to get the, I want you to get the situation. They're going tent by tent. And Joshua's really thinking to himself, man, why did you sit here and let me go through all of these tents and go through all of this trouble? And you knew the whole time it was you. Parents, you ever had your kids do something? Okay, now y'all get it. Okay, now you get it. And you sitting there, you, you, you at home for two hours looking for the car keys. You're like, I left the keys up here, and I told him not to touch it. Two hours you've been searching for the keys. And Junior had them the whole time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So literally what happened is they stoned everything connected to him, and then they burned it. And they said, this will be the valley, uh, this will be the valley of trouble. He says, because Achan troubled us. And then the next chapter, the scripture says that the Lord says, all right, now that the deliberately disobedient is gone, try it again. And the scripture says that they utterly took AI. And and at the second experience, that's where we ended. Now, here's what you need to know about LMAs, and then I'm going to move into this next next principle, but I wanted to talk slow so we get it. The LMAs, lots, mirrors, and Akins, it can be you or someone else. You can be your own Aiken. You can be your own Miriam. Anybody, let's be honest. Anybody, you got some stuff that you got some residue left? You got a little bit of Okay, good. Okay, because we got to deal with that. Touch your neighbor and say, we're going to deal with it today. So my bishop, I prayed last week. And guess what? It ain't gone, so we're going to pray again today. And then tomorrow, we're going to pray again if it's still there. And then the day after that, we're going to pray again. You don't just clean your bathroom once and then just decide, well, I cleaned it two years ago. But you've been using it since then, so you got to clean it again. So every now and then, the Holy Ghost has to come and wash away all... That's why David said, created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me, God. Why did he say that? He said, because, Lord, even though I cleaned it on Sunday, it got dirty because he'd been using it. That's not weakness. That's reality. Got it? Okay, watch this. All right. Not dealing with LMAs, I already said this, can be insidious. Because watch this. Here's what happens when you don't deal with them. You will get an emotional attachment. That will blind you to the fact that they're causing harm in a way that's gradual or not easily noticed. It's very difficult to deal with that which you have become emotionally attached to. And I, taught, I dealt with that all throughout uh, on, in part one. Now, uh, let, me, let me tell you why we sometimes do this. You want to know why we sometimes do this? Because we sometimes have unrestrained mercy. Unrestrained mercy is where somehow you believe that it's okay to make decisions based on potential, not reality. Because you're the one that's got the special recipe to turn the potential into something. And and I'm not talking just dating. I'm not just talking I'm talking whatever scenario that's in. We can have unrestrained mercy. And I know it. You know what? Two weeks ago, I laid hands on myself to to, to cast mercy out. And I anointed myself. And it didn't all come out. So I'm going to do it again tonight. I'm going to do it again tonight. And every time we have a guest preacher, I'm going to say, lay hands on me and cast this mercy out of me. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens. 
I, I looked, as I was having this discussion with pastors, I said, you know, there have been decisions that, that I just frankly, can I be honest with you? Well, fine. To the two people that want me to be honest, you and you. <laughs> well, I didn't make a good decision because it was impeded by unrestrained mercy. And then, you know what? Can I, can I be real transparent with you? You know what we said? Out of all that invested in this and that, I said, what we get? I said, what do we get? I said, we stuck holding the bag. What do we get? What did the house get? It's quiet in here. That's real, huh? That's real. It's just the reality of it. Okay? So sometimes when you don't deal with the LMAs, even if it's you, because sometimes you can have, be overly merciful with yourself. Because sometimes you'll justify your bitterness. I have a right to feel this way. You don't know what they did to me. No, you don't have a right to feel that way. Jesus doesn't keep his right to feel his way about the way he could feel about us. He took the, I, let's go to the Baptist church for 30 seconds. Here we go to the Baptist church. When he died, he took the price for your sin and my sin. And when he took the price for our sin, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not just the two men on either side of the cross, but for us. We were not even born. And the scripture says, yet he died for us. We didn't even know we were lost. And yet he went paid the price to find us. Bishop, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to tell you is he chooses not to be bitter against you for all of what you do. So then where do we get off thinking we have a right to be bitter against somebody? else I have a right not to forgive them okay well what if he used his right to not forgive you I'm just saying I just touch your neighbor say I'm forgiven so that's why I can give forgiveness see I am loved that's why I can give it I am uh, see, see here, here's the good thing about it, if you have unrestrained mercy. The good thing about that, because touching never said there is a good side to it. The Lord said, he said, son, that's not all, all the issue. He said, son, because what you need to understand is you've sown a lot of mercy. And when you sow a lot of mercy to people, you can expect to reap a lot of mercy from heaven. I think I got some people in here tonight that you've sown a lot of mercy and a lot of grace to people. And it looked like you got destroyed the end of the deal. But I got news for you. No, you didn't. It was a seed in the ground. And don't you, don't, don't you dare think that God's not going to be merciful and gracious to you just as you. That's how some of y'all been making it. It's because of the mercy you sowed for other people years ago. It was the grace that you sowed years ago. That touched on them and said, that's how I've been making it. Yes, sir. That's how when you lost your job, you still had more money than you needed. That's how when you didn't know how you were going to make ends meet, you made it. Because God says, you've been sowing goodness and grace and mercy for other people. And so now it's your time to reap what you have sown. So don't get hard at the world. You're hardened. Your pastors sometimes are the, are the most hurt people. Because you're going to open yourself up to care for people and do all these things for people. And, and then you don't get no kind of reciprocation. And a half but thank you. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why they love Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences and something for everyone. Plus, their travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews. So you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.